kind of being pushed on the people and say, you know what? We're starting to see that there's a lot of corruption here, that there's a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, draconian measures coming our way. And you can see through the BS here that's coming. And so that's, you know, I've been in this fight for over a decade. I've seen this coming. We have a new outbreak every year. We have Ebola, swine flu, yada, yada. That's been going on for a long time. Um, in fact, if you look, I'm going to turn my computer, this article right here behind me, I bought at a chiropractic uh, mansion. It was a museum at Palmer, but it talks about the guy Hey, well, right here. Uh, can we get him there? BJ, there you are. That was BJ's mansion. I bought this from and the lady, I took my staff to his mansion and I said, uh, we went and got a tour of the, the Palmer mansion. And they, uh, they said, would you be interested in this article? I said, I love this article, but it talks about, uh, uh, a lot of the parallels that are what are what are happening today and i was almost i like geeked out on this article i was like oh my gosh i gotta put this in a frame because if you were reading this article it says that a few fearful physicians push uh funny few frivolous and um a uh, few further firm enforcing fatal flu facts and figures but it's basically it talks about uh, all the propaganda misinformation and uh this fear-mongering tactics that were being pushed back a hundred years ago to push, guess what, this influenza vaccine. It was an, an experimental vaccine and we're forgetting history. And there was pictures of people that said, wear a mask or go to jail and all these children with masks on. And, and it's like, what a disgrace that we have not really developed uh, health so far because now we're, it's the same fear mongering tactics and the same song and dance that they used a hundred years ago, the same tactics just to push this influenza vaccine on the people. Uh, but my point being is that I've been involved in this. I've seen the writing on the wall. I've seen the parallels. I've seen the patterns and the, the characteristics of, of, of these, these fear mongering, um, uh, you know, measures uh, and I've been studying it. I've dedicated my life to it. And so when I saw this Corona stuff coming, it's, I saw the writing on the wall and I, and I try to educate patients. Don't be fearful. We don't need to live in this fear. You know, fear is the fire that fuels the furnace of disease. And it, it really puts the body in a fearful state. It puts the body in a fearful state. When we are a fear, when we are afraid, and I'm not talking like, Oh my gosh, I'm afraid of spiders. But when I'm in the, when I'm in a chronic state of fear, uh, you know, like these people in the stores and the, and the people that are, uh, uh, you know, not leaving their homes, you know, stay, stay home. It saves lives. Two weeks to flatten the curve. Well, a year later, we're still in the circus. But the problem is these people, when they're so fearful and they're so afraid, the body's in a sympathetic overload state. We have two functions in the nervous system. We have parasympathetic, we have, which is rest and digest. And we have sympathetic, which is fight or flight. Now, they give an example. If I get, if I'm out in the woods and I get chased by a bear, bam, my, my nervous system shifts to, I got to survive. So it's either fight this bear or I got to get the heck out of Dodge. My body's not thinking about, man, I'm going to digest that burger that I just ate a little bit ago. And, and, uh, I'm going to take a nap on the couch. It's like, I got to survive. And that's put me in this essentially, uh, on a physiological level, a fearful state, um, a fight or flight state. And these people are stuck in the sympathetic state. And when you're in a stuck in a, in a high stressful sympathetic overload state, cortisol levels are high. So your immune system is, is suppressed. Not only that, but you are, you know, you're stuck in this state. You're, you're not thinking logically. You're not, your brain's not thinking, Oh man, I got a, I got some stuff to do. You're not in a calm state. You're in a very anxiety ridden or, uh, paranoid type of state. And then just the whole germophobia used to be a mental disorder. Now it's a virtue and, and over sanitizing things. And it's just, it's, it's crazy, you know, and you know, the bacteria that they're trying to kill off is the same bacteria that is in and on your body. You know, we have 10 times more bacteria than we do cells and the germ theory doesn't tell the whole story. And, and it's just, it's just, uh, it's crazy. And, and germs, are never found in initiation of disease. They're always found after one becomes ill or they always accumulate after one becomes ill or, or is in a disease state. And blaming the germs on a disease is a lot like blaming the flies for the trash or the, the, the rats for the dump. And, and, uh, and it's the truth. We need to understand that. We can't be living in this fearful state. And the world is not um, 
as un, uninhabitable as the government permits us to believe. Let me ask you a question. So you talked about the propaganda back in the epidemic influenza during the 1900s, and they were doing propaganda around wearing masks. And I've seen some, uh, Dr. Thomas Cowan had some data on this that uh, I think it was something like 70, 70 to 80% of the people who actually came down with influenza didn't get it <clears throat> from the actual pandemic. They got it from the masks and bronchial infections and that sort of stuff. What's the difference between the propaganda of the 1900s versus the propaganda of today? Systemically, what's that difference? So what's the difference between the, the two types of diseases you're talking? No, in the 1900s, or during the first flu outbreak, the influenza that killed how many ever people, they, they utilize similar methodologies of propaganda given the set of times right. on why you should right. wear masks and why you should distance and quarantine, all these sorts of things. My question is systemically, what is the difference between the motive what was the motive difference between the propaganda of the 1900s versus the motive of the propaganda that's going on now? Well, to be honest with you, it's very similar, but it's a, on a much larger scale. Uh, I mean, once you start looking through all, and finding all the holes in this whole story and finding that there are so many flaws and everything else and understand that this isn't about a virus and everything else, then you're going to say, well, what is it about? Why are we having these lockdowns? Why are we having these restrictions on a global scale? And this has nothing to do with health. Masks don't stop the spread. They have nothing to do with the promotion thereof of health. And if the government's really truly cared about our health, they start mandating exercise and eating right and everything else. But they're not. Yeah. You know, and Thomas Jefferson, I loved the quote, but he said, "If the people let the if the people let the government decide what foods they eat, what medicines they take, their bodies will soon be in a sorry state as those souls who live in our tyranny." But going back, their whole motive back in the day was to push. Uh, in my opinion, the influenza vaccine, get the influenza vaccine on the market. And how do you create a new vaccine? How do you get a new vaccine on the market? Think about the steps and the processes that you have to really consider to get that vaccine on the market. And you have to have a problem reaction solution. And, you know, it was the, um, oh my gosh, what's the guy's name? I asked, I was just talking to Leland Steelman. He, Steelman, he's, he's, this was right on the tip of his tongue, but basically the, the, um, uh, there was a there was a staff on Hitler's team that said to never let a, a good crisis go to waste. And what he meant by that was really to pass legislation in the name of a false flag or create a false flag to pass legislation and create a problem that people to get those people to react, to get the fear mongering and that people will beg for the solution. And that's what we're seeing now. They created this hysteria and the propaganda, the media and the newspapers that. <clears throat> This, this, the, the, you know, this flu, the flu is killing all these people, and then we need to have the savior of a vaccine. And that's where I find a great offense, and I, I find it very insulting because we're told that there's nothing you can do. And I'm like, uh, I beg to differ. I always tell patients, don't ever become your no diagnosis. There's always something you can do. Even prayer, prayer has been shown to be uh, effective. Uh, and 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 the, you know, when you sell a patient, there's nothing you can do naturally. Think about if you're chronically ill and you hear that. So if there's a healthy, healthy individual and you're saying there's nothing he can do to fight this, there's nothing he can do, he's healthier than me. Man, my anxiety starts going through the roof and I start believing this and I start getting like this, I, this downward spiral thought process of going, oh my gosh, I'm going to stay home because there's nothing he can do. I need to survive this. And I become very fearful and I think it's absolutely criminal that these hospitals are getting away with this, that they're saying there's nothing they can do naturally. And that is absolutely criminal and it's disgraceful and it's and it's and nothing is farther from the truth because there's always something you can do naturally. I mean, getting sleep has been shown clinically to prove it, uh, to decrease cortisol levels and increase the immune system because cortisol decreases and suppresses the immune system. So why don't we talk about that? I mean, that's like the elephant in the room, but don't wear your mask. Stay home, eat your Doritos, watch your television, avoid the gyms, avoid your neighbor, wear your mask, and, and just wait till we get this vaccine. That's what we're hearing. Yeah, and what's really unfortunate about that, I was in a hospital for the last two days with a, a client of mine who was having a, a, a baby, and she's, I've been documenting her story for the last year. Um, the baby only has days to live. She has um, two, of her, two of her uh, valves in her heart are defective. Anyway, uh, the point of my story was that she wanted to give – birth to the baby, not a stillborn. She wanted to actually birth the baby and have it alive, no matter how much time she had left with it. And the doctors were arguing with her about basically her prerogative to do what she wanted to do and trying to force 
uh, Pitocin on her, trying to force induction on her, trying to force all these things just to get her, get it done. The perspective, and I'm sitting in the delivery room and, and my perspective is kind of as the doctors were, is they just, she was just a number. Cl- clinically get her in, get her out so that we can get the next body in here. And that sounds morbid, but it's it, what was really struck me is that her number one thing, and she had this cleared in advance, was she didn't. She had her whole family present for the entire birth. She didn't want anybody there to have to wear a mask because she didn't want her child, who she believed spiritually would be able to recognize and acknowledge in the first faces they see, to not see somebody with a muzzle over their face. And so the doctors agreed to that. But then another doctor came in and was forcing everyone in the room to wear a mask while she's giving birth. And I'm, my my first thought was. There is, ju- there is fluids all over the place right now from this woman giving birth. Like, if there's any way that we're going to get sick with the, vac- with the virus, it's going to be from the fact that there is a fully exposed body expelling all sorts of things going on. The fucking masks aren't, are the least of the problem. And second of all, like, she's not a, this is not a clinic. She is giving birth, and they were treating this birth like it was, like, I don't even know how to say it, like a, a, getting – just clinically, I don't even know what the term I'm trying to get out. So the problem I have with all that is they have this propaganda all over the hospital on how, on how we had to do our part and we had to be safe and we had to mask up. And it's like everybody everybody traditionally looks at their doctors as the end all to be all. If the doctor said it, then that's gospel, right? So why is it that so many doctors feel one way about something and other doctors like yourself are completely polarized with a completely different opinion about it? Well, it's the indoctrination, I believe, of the Department of Our Educations. And it's the white coat syndrome or white syndrome we have, you know. It's like, you know, white man came and it's like, hey, take this, you know, eat our, our, our white flour or white sugar. You know, take this, you know, I got a white coat and I'll take this white pill. And it's like, and we put these doctors on the, the pedestal. And I believe that was a designed um design thing. I mean, we have the AMA back in the 1920s and 30s that said that chiropractors, doctors of chiropractic are the greatest threat to the the, the allopathic establishment. But the problem is we it's the art of healing. There's only one cause in disease and that's your body's inability to, to comprehend itself or its environment. Okay? And there's only one cure in disease and that's a body's ability to heal itself. And there's only one thing that any physician that talks, any physician can do for a patient and that is to remove the obstruction of healing thus facilitating that i don't care what kind of doctor physician you are i mean i go to a doctor i broke my arm i go to a doctor he sets the bone he puts a cast on it who in the six weeks later the cast is removed the bone's healed voila uh looks good good as new who did the healing the doctor the bone or the, the, the cast or the body. You see, you have an innate intelligence side of the body that's telling your, bo- your heart to beat, your lungs to breathe, your cells to communicate. I mean, think about it. We just take it for granted. I mean, I don't think about, oh, I gotta take my next breath. I just do it innately. My, my heart's beating. I'm not telling my heart to beat. I'm doing it innately. There's an innate intelligence. There's a living power uh, energy inside my body. And that power is telling every cell to communicate, every, uh, you know, all this to, to heal itself. And we are so arrogant in and now thinking that we know more than that innate intelligence inside the body, that this body is flawed, that the innate intelligence is flawed. No, just focus on the obstructions to that, hindering that innate intelligence inside the body. And that's the key. That's the art of healing. And that's what really the art of a physician um, needs to do is to focus on the obstructions to healing. And once you remove that, then you'll have a healing that can occur. Again, we need to understand that. But the problem is when we these physicians, you said, well, why are some physicians so um, compelled and why we have these these such vast differences in ideologies and philosophies and everything else? But if you look at these doctors that have been so indoctrinated and thinking that they have gotten so caught up in the germ theory as if it was factual, they got so caught up in this indoctrination that we need vaccines to save lives. And it's very compelling arguments. And, you know, and they, they're very convincing and they've convinced a lot of smart minds. Uh, and once you start going down that, it really just kind of it becomes a belief system and it's really hard to uproot those belief systems. And, you know, and, and it's just really it is hard to, to go around that. Uh, it's hard to, to get your mind uh, and to, to change those those doctors minds. And but once you see the light um, and understand that it's there's no going back. 
You um, you talked a little bit about earlier about sort of our body's innate ability to heal, and I was listening to a podcast last week. Uh, the name is uh, David Icke, and he's sort of kind of out there on some things, but he's got some fundamentally powerful beliefs, and he backs it up with some real data. And he was talking a little bit about, and I'm switching gears a bit here, but he was talking a little bit about this, what he called a collective energetic disruption going on right now across the, the globe, and that people who could normally manifest or were trying to manifest or alter their reality through their meditative ways or whatever techniques that they might use. You've talked a lot about that already. He said that people are not able to do that right now because of this disruptive technology that's being distributed across the planet. Are you familiar with this concept that he's talking about? And if so, what's your thoughts around that? Well, I mean, I, I believe that there's good and evil in the world. And I believe that the evil is trying to disrupt every spiritual side of things uh, as much as they can. I don't doubt that technology exists. I don't doubt that's happening. You know, we are not just human beings having a spiritual experience, but we are spiritual vessels having a human experience. We need to understand that. We were designed, created for a reason, a purpose. And I believe that. I mean, everything you think, say, or do is going to uh, be transmitted through the nervous system. We live our life through the nervous system. Well, once you start realizing that, then everything you see, everything you think, everything you touch, everything you consume is going to affect you on a spiritual level or an energetic level. And that is that is reality. I believe that through and through. Our whole profession is a holistic type, spiritual type profession, understanding that we live our life through a system that is not controlled by us. It's really an innate intelligence, that, that energy inside the body. BJ he said that it was God in the body, you know, and and it's and the problem is these doctors that study this body, they compartmentalize that body and they compartmentalize the body for ease of study. And and that's the debacle. And that's the circus and the fiasco that we're in now. If you start just kind of realizing what controls all other systems, every cell tissue organ in the body, it's one system, the nervous system. It's the first organ to, to be developed in the womb because it controls all other systems. It controls everything. And we live our life through that nervous system. And your level of health is the expression of that nervous system, the expression, how well it's functioning, how well you're moving, thinking, seeing, all those things are dependent and correlate with the, the level of function inside the nervous system. So you believe that there's a you're calling we'll just call it the dark and the light, the evil and the and the good. You believe that there is a conscious attempt to disrupt our ability to function like we're supposed to. I believe that we are in the greatest spiritual warfare on on a global scale that we've never seen before. I think that we are being a hundred percent. You can call it a psychological warfare or spiritual warfare, whatever you want to call it, whatever name you want to put on it. I do believe that we are being we are in a war foot. And that's why I speak so passionately about this because you know it's kind of like we need to we need men and women to stand. You know, I'm actually shoulder to shoulder with more women in this fight than men because I, I think a lot of men are just trying to work and 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 I feel like when they when the when the when the working men really get pissed off enough, they're gonna they're gonna put their foot down because they're taking time. I've been taking time off my office all the time and getting these fights and speak out and but you know I I'm a pretty patient man and I feel like a lot of men are gonna really when they do stand up it's gonna be violent uh, because it's you you know Martin Luther King said and I might be uh, boshing this quote but he said that you know. Um, you know, a suppressed people can only be suppressed for so long before they have a yearning for freedom. And I don't care what what area you're suppressing. You could be suppressing you from a spiritual angle, a physical angle, uh, emotional angle, whatever it may be. Eventually, you're going to have that yearning for freedom and saying that's enough and enough's enough. And so we need to just um, understand that. But yes, I would 100% agree that we are being suppressed spiritually and on all fronts. I'm fascinated by your conversation. Sorry. Can I just ask right now, like it, it, it is very prevalent, this fear. It's tangible around us. And no matter what spectrum your thoughts are, you know, it's been very polarizing, but everybody is living in fear right now. So, you know, from your standpoint, what would you suggest for for us to, you know, put on that armor to, to you know, block that fear, both spiritually, physically? What can we do to strengthen ourselves against all this that's coming in and mm. um, build up that resist, resistance? Uh, well, first of all, I was taught that fear is the fire that fuels the furnace of disease. 
Okay. And fear is, is not, you know, I'm, I'm a spiritual man and I, you know, I consider myself, I, I believe in God and I believe that we were created, but I also, um, you know, if you said that you, you just struck a verse in my mind, I'm like, well, I just got to say it. If you ask me in my, my opinion, then I'm going to say, go read Ephesians six ten through 18. That's putting it on the armor. And that's, you know, and that's the thing we, it's like, I believe that, you know, we are uh, the truth's on our side and there's nothing to fear. And I think that, um, you know, putting on this armor, you know, Tatiana, uh, I forget her last name. It's a crazy last name. She's the best immunologist in the world. And she's like, you know, you've done enough research when you don't fear anymore. And that's the thing. If you know the truth, the truth on all fronts, it could be health front. It could be a spiritual front and who's behind us, who loves us, who's supporting us, who's and who has our backs. You'll be in a, such a state of peace that it's like, man, then you'll see the light. You'll see that this this whole thing is such evil suppression. And it's just like, but you'll be in a state of of uh, not necessarily comfort, but a state of peace. And and I don't like the necessarily word comfort, but you'll have peace in the storm. You'll have peace in the time of conflict. You'll have peace in the time of controversy. And and that's and that's a good feeling to have. And that's where I'm at. A lot of people, you know, I, I probably had I can't tell you how many messages of hate and and whatnot in the past few months, but I just say I'm in a state of peace because I, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. even stated that the ultimate measure of a man is where he stands in times of, not in times of, of comfort and con, uh, in uh, uh, times of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of conflict and, and controversy. And I believe that these times are, you'll see the leaders stand. You'll see good men stand in these times. The men that are willing to sacrifice everything they have to, for the truth. You know, and I believe that, uh, you know, there is a verse in the Bible that talks about, you know, where where your treasure is, your heart will there be also, and or be there also. And, and um, you know, and, and I said, if my treasure is in making money, I keep my mouth shut. You know, but my treasure is in the truth. And you asked me earlier in this conversation, why am I speaking out the way I do or whatnot? And again, my convictions are far greater than my my levels of complacency or and I, I my convictions have spilled over because, you know, I don't fight people. I don't I'm not fighting people. I'm not fighting uh, this narrative. I'm fighting for people. I'm fighting for, you know, for hope. I'm fighting for the truth and. And I pray that people will recognize that someday and understand that. I like that you just said that because, you know, if you borrow the scripture from Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, that would imply that you don't necessarily have to speak up because you have the, the, the divinity of God protecting you. But I love the fact that you just explained that because not everybody believes in God. Not everybody understands the, the, the parable or the metaphor from that, if you will. So... Why are, why are, and I, I want to go back to my original question. You're, you're choosing to speak up. I've chosen to speak up from my platform, however small it might be. And, and I have these conversations with people on a daily basis. And, and from my perspective, it's the complacency issue. We can either stand by and, and allow it to be brought to us. And then a year from now, we look back and people are going to be like, oh, I never saw this coming. You should have told me. And I'm like, dude, people have been talking for a year and a half up until now what's happening and what's coming. Like the writing has been on the wall for 12 months. But I want to go into a, a conversation you touched on earlier about how men are sort of kind of gone into the role of making money and whatnot. And you, you're standing uh, you're standing side by side majority of women in this fight. And I have noticed that, by the way. I'm not sure if it's because the gender inequality on Instagram or something else, but I, I see a lot more women voicing their opinion than men. And I'm wondering, and this is not scientific data, but from my perspective, there has been sort of a demasculization of men over the last 20, 30, 40 years, whether it be, and don't take this the wrong way, whether it be the promotion of women's rights, which I believe in <laughs> equality, but whether it be this whole sort of idea, and, there, and, this, and you're a doctor, so you can have the data on this, but I do know that you know, like testosterone levels of men have dropped over the last 50 years dramatically, and there's all sorts of other data around that sort of demasculization of it. Was that intentional so that as we get to this space and time that we are now, the stronger species, forcefully speaking, if you will, are not as collectively speaking out because of that? Is that was that sort of something planned or is that I, I'm just kind of I'm not grasping at straws here, but I see a direct correlation. 
Well, A, we have to look at all the variables that decrease testosterone in men. Cortisol levels decrease testosterone production in men. Um, the consumption of soy, soy lecithin, soy products, byproducts, derivatives, all decrease testosterone levels. Soy is extremely high on phytoestrogen. Now all the 90-some percent of our soy is, is GMO modified. And look at the production of the phytoestrogen in that. It's skyrocketing. Men consume that. It's going to decrease testosterone levels. Not only that, vaccinations. I believe vaccinations are uh, uh, so invasive in the immune system and the nervous system. And when you have like ingredients like WI38, which is a gestational fetus, female, cell line that's from a lung of a female and when you inject that into a baby um, so here's we're gonna back up when you inject that into a baby we have a condition a de, not a condition a, de, a developmental stage called the exuberant neurosynaptogenesis where the nervous system is developing at a rapid rate when you inject that uh, any vaccine that breaks the skin barrier you get an inflammatory response but we're told from the CDC and other administrative doctors that your body's a, a, a building up an immunity to that vaccine it takes two weeks to develop an immunity to this vaccine and what really occurs is an inflammatory one and you know because what they're measuring for in that two-week period is uh, a teeter or a protein or antibody from IgM which is immunoglobulin M all your antibodies are listed or named or uh, called immunoglobulins we have immunoglobulin G IgE so I say I'm gonna say Ig for short so I IgG IgA IgM IgE and that's basically the proteins or the building blocks or the workers or the immune system and each one has different functions that, and, you know, that's why, uh, you know, when we breastfeed, it's so important because you get an explosion of, uh, of immunoglobulin A, which function is to seal and coat the esophagus and stomach, small intestine, and kind of develop that immune system for, for life. And that's why it's so important to breastfeed. But when we inject and we break the skin barrier with a needle, uh, the vaccine will go in and, and actually break uh, <clears throat> the skin. And if you look at the microscopic level, it's very invasive to the skin. The body uh, says, whoa, invader, 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 inflammation. We need to surround that. And it triggers IgE, which is uh, immunoglobulin E, which is responsible for inflammation. And that's part of the immune system. And when you when you get an IgE response, the, the IgE will actually release histamine. And the histamine causes the blood-brain barrier to open or be permeable. And you have these uh, aluminum adjuvants, so there's the ingredients. Now, but the, what I'm, my point being, if you understand epigenetics and understand the threat that that can play on a male uh, body, like in the nervous system, when you have WI38 entered into a nervous system, a developing baby, especially during this, the, the, this, uh, the developmental stages of exuberant neurosynaptogenesis, you develop, you throw the cell line in there. Well, we know epigenetics uh, on a cellular standpoint, the cells can express differently. If you have a heart cell, and I threw that into the pancreas, eventually that heart cell is going to have an epigenetic response and start expressing very much like a pancreatic cell. Now, what happens when we throw a female cell line into the nervous system in a developmental stage, like exuberant neurosynaptogenesis in a male body? This this boy, yeah, he looks and uh, like a male. He presents like a male. But what's happening now, you get these grown men that are feminized. You got these grown men. I'm not saying homosexuality. I'm talking differently. I'm I talking, understand completely. So you have these uh, these men that think, I'm a, I'm a woman. Or I... I'm feminized or and whatnot and and it's really it's the they're expressing that that's how they they feel they're expressing uh feminine type qualities and i believe and i in my research and my study that these vaccinations are promoting that type of um behavior or type of uh, i would say dare i say condition so i'm only left to infer that my the answer to my question is a yes, but was it a was it a purposeful outcome by doing these vaccinations with this sort of Ig protein building block that's causing this lo loss of testosterone, this demasculization of men? Do you think that that was a purposeful exercise? Well, purposeful setting up for something like this, right? Well, the purposeful. Um, I'm not sure if I would use the word, but I think that it's effective but is it a good or bad thing uh it's very invasive and if you want to change the uh, the way essentially we were designed then yes i guess it would be effective and purposeful but in my opinion it's harmful and it, it's and it's very uh you're changing the outcome of an individual and 
when they're the, at the most vulnerable state of their life. I th- so, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I wasn't making any uh, suppositions about it. I guess when you were talking about the the different the gender inequalities going on, the only thing that popped in my head was was this a planned event? Just like event two hundred one was a planned event, right? Uh, but let's let's um, let's switch focus for a second. I want to talk a little bit about the the PCR test. I hear you talk a lo- talking a lot about it, and the CDC, the WHO recently right. re-est- reestablished the baseline on on the, and I, I, I'm going to re- look at my notes here, the, the threshold cycle rate. Right. So I kind of understand what that means, but can you dumb that down for me and explain to me, A, what the original PCR test did, why it was flawed, and now why has this, why has the WHO and the CDC taken a back step and adjusted that baseline? Right. Well, they know that we're on to them. That's why they're adjusting it. And, <clears throat> but if you really start investigating the PCR test, um, this test was never meant to be diagnostic. You need to, in order to activate this test, you need a DNA sample. I mean, I think people, if they understood that, they would probably like, no way, I'm not giving my DNA freely. This is a DNA grab. They go in there and uh, they, they, they do a, a swab of the posterior canal, the sinuses, and they're kind of given the illusion that they're grabbing a droplet. Well, if you need a droplet, I'll hock a loogie on a, on a swab for you. But this is, but it's like, this is a DNA grab they go in there and they put it in this machine and they cycle it. But what they're trying to do is get an expression of their DNA, right? And how many conditions can the DNA express? Well, you can express any type of this disease or the condition. And that's why you can find, that's why Kerry Mollis, the inventor, has said that you can find anything on anybody at any time if you cycle this machine long enough. Because it's basically causing, they're testing for the expression of DNA. And that's, I think it's interesting. I think it's a very powerful and useful tool, but was it ever meant to be in a clinical diagnostic setting? Absolutely not. That's why we have 80 to 90% of these asymptomatic or asymptomatic COVID cases that are false positives or asymptomatic individuals. And to give you an illusion of how we make a diagnosis in a clinical setting, if you were coming into my clinic and I were to make a diagnosis, I'm going to get your demographics, get all the paperwork, get everything filled out, and I'm going to look at my subjective findings, and I'm going to, or you're, I'm sorry, doing, uh, get some subjective findings like symptomatology, when did your pain start, or what happened, tell me why you're here, um, you know, why don't you rate it, zero to ten, yada, 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 what makes it worse, what makes it better, how does it, you know, do this and that. Um, get everything, a question I can ask this all questioning. I'm just putting you on the, the, uh, the, pe- uh, on, as an expert, cause you are the expert, you know, your body better than I do. And I'm just being like an, an uh, basically like an, an investigative, uh, detective, figure out what's trying to get to the bottom root, uh, root of this cause. And then now the objective side of things, I'm putting my hands on you, I'm getting some imaging, blood work, whatever it may be. Those are all objective findings. And then I'm going to do an assessment to make a diagnosis. And that's really how a physician comes up with a diagnosis. That's really clinicals 101. Now, if I was a medical auditor going into a, a clinic and I want to see uh, why this doctor is, is diagnosing all these asymptomatic COVID pa- uh, patients, what am I going to look at? I mean, there's zero subjective findings. There's zero objective findings that correlate and correspond to the diagnosis. And he's going to fail his audit. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So this, this type of test holds no weight in the clinical setting, and we need to understand that and need to recognize that, but it's, it, they're duping the people. So then it's baffling to me that they can even get away from it, and it's baffling to me that more physicians aren't speaking out against this and saying, hey, this is not meant to be a diagnostic test. So... I spoke to a physician recently who feels completely opposite of you, and it just baffles my mind that people of of that amount of training and education in the medical system could have such varying degrees of certainty around something. I, I, it's it's hard for me to understand, and and it's even the the whole contextual thing. I come from a really large family; I have eleven brothers and sisters, and about ninety percent of my family believes completely opposite of me, which I cannot comprehend. And so this whole context of what people believe versus what people don't believe it, it's I, I don't really i don't know that i can understand it do you have some sort of ideology thoughts around that and why there's such different difference of opinion given the fact that there is an inordinate amount of data around this entire conversation that points to a very clear picture of what's going on but why do some people just not actually read well again 
most people go to Google searches and they, they think that Google, Google is a non-biased search engine and, and the TV, they get their, their news sources from the television. They get their, their information off of Google search. Uh, and they don't realize that the truth is being censored or silenced. And when you silence the truth, the silence is the lie. And, 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 you know, I love the quote by George Martin. He said that if you cut out a man's tongue, you don't prove him a liar, but you're fearful of what he might say, you know, and, and it's really, uh, it's, it's, um, you know, again, it, I, it just reminds me when I, I campaigned for Ron Paul back in, uh, 20, uh, 20, 2011. And, and, you know, I was, I wasn't really into politics at the time. I didn't care. I, you know, I got behind Ron Paul because he was talking about the swine flu and how the swine flu scares like people don't give into this fear. And I'm like, this dude's run for president. I like this guy. You know, that, that, that's the one thing I liked. Him. I'm like, Hey, swine, he's, he's against the swine flu, you know, like the vaccine. I was like, I like this guy. And then I started learning, learning about the federal reserve. And like, he just basically red pilled my whole life. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And then, uh, but I saw the censorship that occurred in the media back then. I was like, I, I felt like I was in the twilight zone. I literally was blown away because I would go, you know, I, I, bought, I wasn't paid on his campaign trail, but I, I was putting 30, 30 something hours a weekend on his campaign trail and support him and, you know, doing all these events. And I, uh, we'd go to a city and have 10,000 people fill a football stadium. And the media would say, uh, look, like, look at all the people that permit Romney. And they would like, they would like do different things. And like, I was like, that's not, that wasn't the way it went down. And then they would say, Ron Paul has no ch chance. And so I saw all this, like, like my world, just, just, it was like a red pill moment for me, how much corruption and censorship and, and the media. But my point is I would always talk to people and the TV would say, we have a new top tier. It's Michelle Bachman, uh, Mitt Romney or Rick Santorum. They would say that over and over and over these talking points. And I'd go on and talk to people like, well, I, I'd hear people talk about Paul. They'd say, yeah, well, I guess we got a new, uh, new top tier. It's uh, Michelle Bachman, uh, Rick Santorum and Mitt Romney. I'd be like, you need to shut your TV off, dude, because you're just being brainwashed and you're a, you're you sound like a parrot, and you know what I mean. It's and that's the reality of it. And there's so much more to that, and that's what these people get. There, and I feel like we're so busy anymore. We're so 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 busy, and it's it's and we're in a sympathetic state. We're not really thinking about this, and so we 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 got you know all these storms and all these fires that we got to put out and we got to support our family. We got to work a job. We got to take care of ourselves. And we have all these stresses coming down on us. And, you know, there's more stress now than our grandparents had. So we go through more stress in a day or two than our, and our grandparents did in a lifetime. I mean, from a physical, chemical, and emotional stressor. And, and it's the reality, <coughs> excuse me. And so my point <clears throat> is that, um, we need to understand that and understand that, you know, these people that are getting these news sources, they're so busy that they just get a glimpse of the news and the television. And then they, they take that as, and they put a doctrine on it. That's, that's the truth. And, and that's the reality of the situation because they're so busy. They don't, they don't have time to research this or they don't have the desire, or the motivation to look past the television or what they say, or they do it. They go to Google and they yeah. work together. What the TV says, the Google will confirm. And it's like, yeah. they work hand in hand. And, and it's, it's the truth. And I, you know, earlier in 2020, I, I did a, a video on the promotion of vitamin D3. And I was talking about the benefits of vitamin D and or probiotics and, and zinc. And I said, don't fear this. I said, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not what you think. And I said, the best thing you can do is take vitamin D. Well, they Facebook <clears throat> put me in jail and, and they, they said, I went against community standards. Again, if that's, you know, I believe that to be true. Well, most people won't see that video because Facebook kicked me off and put me in jail. Well, that's the problem at hand. You know, our freedom of speech is completely suppressed and it's, and it's scary. I, I totally agree with everything that you said. We've had these same conversations and we have become, because we're so busy, we're also lazy and complacent as, as far as researching and we love to be spoon fed information. So can you give us a little spoon feeding of where you would suggest that some alternative places to look for information to get an unbiased, give us a few places for that and maybe five things that we can do to boost our immunity, boost our strength, boost those things that are going to make us feel um, less stressed and more able to equip, be equipped with all of this that's going on. Okay. Well, 
So, you know, going back to like less stress and everything else with that, I mean, I think that, you know, in order to decrease stress levels and, and uh, to be healthy and to decrease cortisol levels in the body, we need to focus on um, a, a each area of life. Because if we are, life's like a bicycle wheel. And Zig Ziglar said this, he said, you know, life's like a bicycle wheel. And if we have stress in life, that bicycle wheel is kind of like, there's a camera. It can, it'll it kind of just, it won't be, it won't be true. It won't be spinning true. And there'll be some vibration and, and all the, depends on the level of stress, but that wheel could eventually just fall apart. And each area of life is like a spoke in that tire. And we need to spend time in each spoke or we're going to have imbalance or we're going to have stress or we're going to have problems. You know, one spoke could be finances or family or parents or spouse and, and uh, our health, our thoughts, our money, whatever it may be. Each spoke is important, just as important as the next one. And we need to spend time in each one and make sure each one is, is, is functioning, each one is well. And that's how we decrease our stress levels. We need to eat well. We need to move well. We need to think well. We need to pray well. We need to relate well. Everything that can decrease stress levels and get us out of that sympathetic overload state into a rest, calm, digestive state. And that's how we were, we're designed. And we need to be in a calm state. So we need to calm our mind. That's where it starts. Calming our mind. Realizing there's nothing to fear. Let your fear and your thoughts. I always try to do a meditation practice where I sound my mind and I just listen. I just think and listen. And I just try to, all my anxiety ridden thoughts or my, my, all these little things coming at me, I just view them as clouds just floating by. And I just, I, I try not to let them, give them attention. I just say, hey, cloud. And I just watch them drift on by. And that's a thought practice to sound the mind. Our thoughts affect our physiology. Our thoughts can change the world if we if we can you know realize that. Zig Ziglar said if we understood the power of our thoughts, we'd never have a negative thought again. You know, your thoughts become words, your words become actions, your actions become character, your character becomes your destiny. So we need to be careful what we think about. And and then that means, well, what can change our thoughts, influence our thoughts? What we see, what goes in, what goes in, what we watch, what we consume with our eyes. Okay. And and so we need to be careful what we look at because that can affect our thoughts. That can lead to other bad habits. What about what we hear? What are we listening? What are we listening to? What are, you know, what are we saying? Are we building others? Are we tearing others down? You know, the power of the tongue is very powerful. And I believe that building others, just encouraging others, loving others is so powerful. You know, even loving our enemies. If someone persecutes me, man, I'm like, I'll still love you, dude. Come here. I'll give you a hug. I don't care if you've got a mask on. I'll hug you. You can say whatever you want about me. Yeah, I'm terrible. I am a terrible person. I am not disagreeing with that, I, but I still love you. Come here. I don't hold on to their, I don't let their negative emotions and attach on to me. There's a phenomenal book out there called You Are Special. And it's the wooden people, the Puccinello. I read this kid. I read this book all the time to my kids. My kids are like, dad, you read that book a hundred times. Stop reading that book. But Puccinello, the, the Wemmicks were wooden people and they were like, but they put, if you, if you're, if you were ugly, if you weren't pretty enough, or if you weren't smart enough or whatever, you get these little gray dots that stick on you like, and then you walk off and then kind of like do their thing. Or if you're pretty, they would put like a little gold star on you. And so these people like these Wemmicks would like stick their noses in the air and then be like, look at me, I got all my gold stars or, and then the Wemmicks that held the gray dots, they're like, Oh, they're kind of, they kind of do their little thing. But my point being is there was a Wemmick, and I'm sorry if I'm ruining the story for you guys, if you get this book, but but there was a Wemmick that didn't have any. And people would try to stick dots on him, and they would just fall off, or they'd try to stick golden stars on her, and they would fall off. And they're like, how? How, how do you not have any stickers? How do you not have any dots? And then she's like, because I don't care what they think. I don't care. And I and I go see the, the, the woodcarver. Hmm. And, but basically my point being is, we need to, to, to be careful what we think about and we need to be careful how we treat others. And we need to, um, you know, understand that our, that it, it does affect our level of health and it can affect our immune system. And going back to the Crohn and our thoughts, I mean, I've had patients like I'm trying to keep a database of all the people I know that, that said they had COVID and the people are like, Oh my gosh, it was so severe. And I about, and I, and I thought I was going to die. And it's like, well, that right there 
is probably the reason why it was so severe because you were panicking and decreasing your immune system, suppressing your immune system because your cortisol levels were through the roof because you thought you were going to die and panicking. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the problem. It's like, that's why I hate the, the, the media's message about fear mongering, like nothing you can do because all it does is instill fear. Like what if we, the media changed their narrative from the strength of the virus to the strength of the body and said, hey, no, you can be well. You can be well. Um, just give the body what it needs. Get some rest, get some fluids, you know, and eat well. Avoid the sugar consumption. Sugar decreases uh, sugar decreases or suppresses the immune system and it, it increases cortisol levels. It's probably one of the most powerful things. Uh, and that increases cortisol levels. Coffee, if you, most people drink coffee in an empty stomach, that increases cortisol levels 400%. Number one way to... Um, I drink but, coffee, sorry. <laughs> I love coffee as well, but don't drink it on an empty stomach. In the morning, you're breaking your fast. Damn it. Break breakfast. When you break your fast, and you should have, you know, I, I always like lemon water, squeezing fresh lemon in that water. That's going to be so good for the gut. Your body's going to be like, mmm. Quit explain that. Go back to that break, uh, breaking your fast. So you, you're, you haven't eaten all night long, so your system is sort of in that in that um, rest period, and then you put coffee into it. What happens? What's What exactly is going on? Well, I mean, I love coffee, and I love the smell of coffee for a second. Folgers indoctrinate us like, oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. taste. The smell of coffee, you know, whatever that song is, yeah. the first thing in the morning, right? And I, I mean, I watch those. I'm like, man, I want to love coffee just for that commercial. I want to come down to my robe like, oh, oh, that's amazing, right? Like, I want that. I want to experience that. Like, they did a phenomenal job at marketing because, I mean, it probably shows you how much TV I watched when I was a kid. But, like, the Folgers commercials were great. And and I love coffee. But just don't drink it on your stomach. When you are breaking that fast, I mean, you're, it's an empty stomach. And then co- coffee is acidic. Um, there's good nutrients in coffee, but sometimes it, it you know, it, but it does increase cortisol levels, especially in the, on an empty, on an empty stomach first thing in the morning, you know, you start your day with fresh fiber first. I get fr- uh, raw fruits and vegetables in a smoothie and I get my lemon water and then I, and then, and then coffee it up, but <clears throat> then drink, have a heyday, hmm. but, but the, but the coffee, yes. Hmm. And so going back to increase the, the immune system, Getting probiotics as well. Probiotics, getting the uh, you know fermented foods. A phenomenal book I recommend is Art of Fermentation, and it's also an eye opener because you look at all the possibilities of, of fermenting foods, and they all create different probiotics and bacteria. And if you read about the byproducts and the functions of these bacteria strains, it'll be eye opening. It's a mind blowing experience when you start reading about all the different bacterial strains and their byproducts and functions. It's amazing, and it's like an ecosystem. And you know you you want to pour a, a you know um, a Dr. Pepper in a fishbowl for their fish, would you? Uh, mm-hmm. Why would you do that in your stomach? Because the stomach's no different. You got these little, little, little living creatures in your in your stomach, the, the probiotics, the bacteria, and it's an ecosystem. They're trying to work for you. So why would you dump Doritos and soda and all the other garbage in there, nutritionally bankrupt foods in the gut, and thinking that's going to be good for you? I mean, I want to give my dog Doritos and soda. So why do you give it to the kids? You know, and and <clears throat> we need good foods. Getting going back to to as as a, a food that's going to be just, uh, healthy for the body, giving us energy, giving us what it needs. And food has been, I mean, I love food just as much as the next person, but we need to go back to, 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 uh, to real food and not nutritionally bankrupt foods. Yeah. Speaking of that, and I know you only have an hour, so I, I had a couple, two more questions I want to really get at, but at the hospital the other day, another hospital story, as I parked my car into the parking garage, I'm walking up into the hospital room and on the exterior of the entrance, there are maybe 10 vending machines walking into the corridor, down the causeway, going to the main entrance of the hospital. There's probably 10 more vending machines, soda, chips, you name it, like the bullshit of the, that you just referenced. So it, it just kind of struck me as ironic. We're, we're walking into a healthcare facility and yet right. their halls are lined with soda machines and vending machines and the, the worst food you could possibly put into your body. All right. Can I continue? No, I just love nutritionally bankrupt. That's just going <laughs> to, I'm like, like that. I'm going to steal it. Now you know why I eat so much sauerkraut. I know. It's on the menu tonight. Yes. My brother from another mother. There That's we go. Right. Right. I yeah, eat sauerkraut like it's nobody's business. Dude, I, I'm the same way. My wife's like, damn, how much sauerkraut are you going to eat? I'm just like, I'll pour it on there. Don't even care. My kids think I'm literally from a different planet because I'll just sit there at morning time, just have a bowl of sauerkraut, just eating it. Like, yeah, like dude, dude yeah. what's wrong with you? Yeah, well, I, I, I want to – sorry, go ahead. I'm just going to say, you're more than welcome to come to Omaha and stay with me. We'll have a sauerkraut party, dude. You come in, we'll, I'll feed it. You're, so. I'm going to get your book, Art of Fermentation, and learn how to make my own sauerkraut. 
Because it's expensive here in North Carolina for the because I, I buy this organic special sauerkraut. It's like ten bucks for this little yeah, tiny dude, jar. Right, I'm the same way. But you know, I pay it because I'm I'm a I'm a sauerkraut snob. But you got to you know, <clears throat> I had some family members that uh, they used to grow their own cabbage and make their own sauerkraut, and uh, but their recipes have uh, slipped through the cracks, and the recipes are gone forever. But my mom always rubs my face. Oh, I should have known you love so much sauerkraut. Great Aunt Betsy made the best sauerkraut ever. And I'm just like, thanks for keeping the recipe, Ma. But uh, anyway, sorry. Sauerkraut and sprouts. I'm uh, I, I'm actually, we have a guest coming on in a couple of weeks. He, uh, it's all he does is he focuses on, you probably know him, and I cannot remember his name, but all he does is grow his own sprouts. And he actually wrote, has written a book on the art of growing sprouts, kind of like the art of yeah, fermentation. That's awesome. I didn't realize how powerful sprouts were. And, and I, we actually eat, eat them pretty regularly, but I didn't realize how powerful they were. Mm -hmm. All right, serious question. I don't really quite understand vaccines. I understand sort of the injection that the, the true vaccine you're injecting sort of the protein of the virus, if you will, but from, and forgive me if I'm butchering this, but a virus in of itself, there's thousands and trillions of viruses within our bodies already. And how, and, and if I'm wrong, tell me, but my understanding of a virus is they, they coexist in sort of a symbiotic relationship with our bodies in some way, form or another, correct? And then by injecting us with the vaccine, we're sort of trying to build up the, uh, a synthesized resistance to whatever that threat is, right? By putting small parts of it. But the new, and, I'm, and correct me if all that's wrong when you, when you talk, but the new vaccine, we'll call it just quote unquote, has this um, mRNA synthesizer in it i don't really quite understand it i've googled it but nothing i can find makes any sense and it's all propaganda based i was at the cdc website talk uh, preparing for this call and they're like there was every quote on there was how it was safe and how doctors want you to encourage you to do this and that i'm like that is not even close to the information that i'm receiving from people like dr ben tapper so can you sort of explain what the mrna vaccine for covid actually is and what mrna means the synthesized version of it I'll sum it up. It's poison. Okay. So this vaccine, yes, mRNA type vac uh, vaccine technology. We've never seen a vaccine like this on the market ever. Only in animals, uh, in animal testing, we've seen uh, these animals that get this vaccine. They've always, they were fine until they got sick and it caused a cytokine storm and they died. So it's a, that should raise a red flag with everybody and everybody getting this vaccine. That should send a shiver up your spine. This type of vaccine. When I, I got a lot of flack, and I got kicked off of Twitter. Uh, my Twitter account's still there, but I can't access it. But I said about <clears throat> this vaccine is going to alter DNA. I said it's going to it has genome altering technology, and people are like, "Oh, that's impossible! You can't alter DNA. You can't alter genome, and that's impossible." And I would have agreed with them, but I'm like, "Homeboys, you need to do your research." If I made that claim, I'm I've done my research. The this technology is called CRISPR nine. I'm sorry, CRISPR-Cas9 technology or just CRISPR technology, C-R-I-S-P-R technology. <clears throat> you can go to CRISPR vaccine. Now, the videos are very, very convincing. These videos are going to, they're designed to kind of fluff it up, puff it up and make it sound so good and phenomenal and interesting. And like, hey, they use, it's a sales pitch. And so <clears throat> this vaccine will go in there and alter your DNA. Now you have to understand back to epigenetics, genome pathology. Genome pathology occurs in one to 2% of the population like Down syndrome or cystic fibrosis. If we don't have a genome pathology, we have an epigenetic disease. And Corona is just an epigenetic type disease due to you know lifestyle choices. The choices that we make has led us on to bring on this dysfunction in the body or disturbed condition. But genome altering technology is is terrifying. That means they are gonna they're going to alter your DNA, Devo. They're gonna splice your DNA. They're gonna splice the genome. Then they have lipid nanoparticle technology, which is like smart technology and it goes in there and, and, and claims to repair your DNA. But it forever alters your genetic blueprint, who you are as a person, who God made you to be. Your fingerprint, your blueprint is going to be forever altered on a DNA scale. Your offering, offspring is going to be a forever DNA altered. And that's terrifying. You know, back in the 90s, I remember reading about genetically modified foods and had like, they're playing God. This is wrong. 
or splicing apple DNA with spider DNA. This is not right. And people are like, well, they've been doing that for years and years. No, no, no. They might have altered like, you know, the branches of different trees and try to splice different like, you know, organic, um, you know, different like, hey, let's combine an apple branch with an orange branch or whatever. But then, they, you know, they plant splicing all the time. But this is different. This is a different type of genome altering technology called CRISPR technology. It's going to alter uh, your genome. And that's terrifying because that means that, um, you know, if they can do that and they can alter your DNA on a genome uh, level and they've done it successfully, I question what kind of uh, disease and pathologies are we going to see here? I think we're going to see a real pandemic here soon. And that's terrifying. And I don't want to be doom and gloom. I don't want to be uh, pushing the fear mongering more than it is. But I believe that the real fear mongering is going to occur from the people that have received this vaccine. Could they theoretically, given what you just said, theoretically use external signals, whether it be energetic, microwaves, 5G? I'm not going, I'm not going uh, crazy here. But could they theoretically alter or send a signal to a human with this injection? to some sort of behavior. I don't doubt it, my friend. I do not doubt it. You know, this technology in, the, in, this, in this vaccine, there was patented technology that got pulled from the internet, pulled from a lot of search places because the Pfizer and Moderna basically lobbied and said, take this down. We don't want people knowing about this. And I was, I was on their trail and I was finding this ingredient. I was like, oh my gosh. And then it's just like, now you can't find anything about it. And the patent on it was just hidden. <clears throat> so. We have technology in this vaccine. We know for a fact that it has never been used before on a human. We have the lipid nanoparticle technology that's never been used before. And, you know, you've mentioned 5G, 6G technology that's going to be implemented. I wonder those same things. And uh, I don't doubt it. We have well, well, as you as you explained epigenetics, and I know we're running out of time, and this will be my last thought. Sorry. Um and sorry for taking up so much time here. As you explained epigenetics, sort of that whole injection of this synthesized ingredient, this mRNA that you just talked about, it sounds to me like that's almost could act as a receptor for some sort of an energetic wavelength that you could transmute or transmit some sort of a signal to alter something else. If you can alter the DNA and the sequencing and the nucleotides and all those things, then why couldn't you if you're synthetically creating something and you're using nanotechnology, theoretically, you could embed that with some sort of a, a receiver of some sort, I'm assuming. So what you're getting at is frequencies and you're hitting a nail on the head. Everything is all about frequencies. Yeah. Everything. Your thoughts portray a frequency. Your, your life choices make a frequency. Your disease has a frequency. We know that, like Royal Rife, he, he taught, he preached it. He created a machine that was based on frequencies. We have microcurrents that are that are doing wonders for autoimmune diseases for, with using frequency te technology. I just bought a device today that's based off frequency and test frequencies in the body. It tests for mold toxicities, metal toxicities, because if you have parasites, all those things have certain frequencies. Now, look at this technology. We have lipid nanoparticles that go in the body and then everything else. Who's to say that they couldn't just use certain frequencies and have you know these diseases expressed so, I, I i had the thought of it and lisa and i are watching we don't watch tv but we are watching we have been binge watching something on netflix i know we shouldn't say that out loud um because they're part of the thing network but it's called dark and they travel through time if you are you familiar with the show the concept they can travel 33 years forward 33 years back no, but I can't judge you because I do the same thing on Netflix. So I oh, the yeah. show is addictive. I can't and I don't watch TV, but this thing has I drawn. think we're addicted because it's just German and there's subtitles. <laughs> so you have to actually pay attention and put your devices down. Yeah, well right. anyway, what 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 prompted this question is you were as you were explaining epigenetics and mRNA as I'm trying to read about it, this is what came to my mind. They they induce the signal of the time machine by the radiation nuclear energy from their cell phone by placing it next they don't have to turn it on the 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 device reads the radiation signal from the phone and activates the time machine so my thought was as you were explaining that i mean we have these things around us all day long right dude right and There's i got upgrades that go on as you sleep like 
the two seem very connected to me. And that's why we're going to eat sauerkraut and watch it tonight <laughs> at the same time. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. I, I, I could talk yeah. to you for hours. I'm really grateful that you came on. This has been a brilliant conversation. I'm, right. I, um, it's well, been fantastic. I, well, I, I'm just glad you, ha you had me on, and, um, and thank you for accommodating to my schedule. <clears throat> it's been a, a very busy schedule, and it's been very crazy because I'm trying to run a practice, and my practice right now is <clears throat> I can't handle my patient load that it is, which is a good thing. And, but my, my main priority has been at the true front lines fighting against this tyranny. Um, and that's, I took two days off this week. So I speak at the state Capitol and spoke at the city council. And I've been doing this, been speaking on Monday night. And I, last night I spoke at another group. We had 25 people there just for moms that are like eating red pilled on vaccines. And we spoke till 11 o'clock at night last night. So it's been exhausting. It's been a lot, but I, again, thank you for having me on. And I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't mind doing an Instagram live with you. We can maybe make that work for the people that missed out on that. Um, and so maybe we can do that sometime, uh, you know, get that on the schedule. I would absolutely love that. That would be fantastic. And sorry about that clusterfuck. Um, you are, um, people can find you on Instagram, at least until you get put in jail. And, but you've also started or you're part of a new organization called Health Freedom for Humanity. Is that correct? Are you part of that yes, organization? Yes, I'm a, yep. Founding yeah, member, founding member I, of the Health Freedom for Humanity. That's an awesome group I'm excited about. Um, you know, these guys were just, you know, I, they're now my friends, but they were just people on Instagram. I didn't really think much of, and now they're my friends and colleagues and I have a ton of respect for them. And, and, um, they, you know, I, I really love these people and we've been having zoom meetings and we got a lot of big visions and, but we're there to protect and fight for our medical rights and our freedoms. And, and, um, and it's, it's an awesome group. And we have, we have powerhouse people in, in this, in this group. I mean, these people are, they're passionate, they care about health and they're world changers. And so it's, it's, I'm just honored and thankful to be part of this group. And so I'm really excited. Health Freedom for Humanity. Plug what that, what it is. What's the mission behind it? Well, get, it's going to be launched tomorrow. Uh, so that's our launch dates tomorrow. And it's basically it, 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 you know, Health Freedom for Humanity is, is basically we are fighting for our health freedoms and on all fronts. And it's, it's an important issue. It's a pressing issue. It's a hot topic right now, but we are there. We are fighting for people. We're not fighting people. We're fighting for the people when it comes to health freedom. And that's what it's all about. If you need anyone to bring you coffee after you have had your first meal of sauerkraut, I volunteer my <laughs> services to you. Dude, you know what, Bebo? I think you're my brother from another mother. And you I know what? That. You need to, if you're ever in Omaha, Nebraska, we just bought an acreage yesterday. And it's like a paradise. It's a hidden uh, village, basically, in the woods. And so if you guys want a little getaway, it, I'm telling you, it's like a paradise. And I literally, when we closed on it, I cried. It was like my dream home. And I'm like, I need this so bad. I feel like a dog in a kennel in the city. Um, you know, I grew up on the country on an acreage. And I'm like, I need to get back to that. This is like a spiritual thing for me. Uh, and so if you guys want to uh, come up to Omaha, you are going to receive hospitality. And we will... And I'll give you uh, some sauerkraut as well. And we could uh, drink coffee and maybe we can watch some Netflix. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for that kind of offer. All joking aside, I, I don't know what a HFF a Health Freedom for Humanity is and what you're all about. I saw it on, uh, I think I saw it on your Instagram feed. <clears throat> I, know, I know Alex Zek as well. So I know he's involved in that in some way. Um, if there's anything we can do to help out in our small way, please do not hesitate to ask us. Uh, I, I'm... I don't know what my role is through all of this. I'm, I'm using my diminutive. I, I hear you're a whiz with a camera. I heard that. Um, but I don't know what my role is through all this. I'm trying to sort of figure out how I can be a voice or a beacon and try to educate people on what's actually happening. So if, if you think of something or if you need something, please don't hesitate to ask. I, I mean that earnestly. I appreciate it, my friend. Well, we're in this fight together. You know what I mean? And your voice matters. And the people that are listening to this, your voice matters. Again, I say this quote, I'm a broken record, but we never know how far reaching something we may think, say, or do today will affect the lives of millions tomorrow. Your voice matters. It matters so much. And it matters in these times. And your voice will travel far and wide in these times. Because in these times, truth is treason in an empire of lies. 
And truth, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. We must understand that. But the truth is on our side, and that's the most important thing. You're, so walking, you're a walking soliloquy. I was having this conversation this morning with uh, my CrossFit instructor at the gym, and he's like, well, I don't know what to do. And I said, dude, there's 7.5 billion people on the planet. You just have to start speaking up. At some point, somebody has got to just start speaking up because there's a lot of people who – and here's my problem with social media. Everybody has a, has a voice, but only a fraction of them are using it. But the, the problem I see with Instagram, Facebook, whatever platform you, you, you use is the inclusivity of it. So most of the people who follow my feed, they follow my feed because they they're sort of have an affinity with what I'm saying. How do I reach the people outside of my inclusivity? That's the struggle I've, I, I've had this conversation with you many, many times because my, of my small 18, 20,000 people who follow my Instagram regularly, most of those people would agree with basically everything I sort of say. There's Everybody not a lot else has unfollowed you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but that's my point, the inclusivity of social media. So because of censorship, and this will, I promise this is my last question, how do we get beyond the, the borders of censorship when most of the people who follow us are kind of mutually inclined to agree with us in the first place? You got to get pissed. You've got to get just pissed off. And I would say it's like a righteous anger. You have to let those convictions just, you got to get to the point where those convictions spill over and say that this fight is bigger than myself. This fight is bigger than my office, my business, my family, my children, my children's children, because this is the reality of the situation. We are fighting for the freedoms of our children's children's children. Unless we have good men speak, what an opportunity for men like you and I to stand right now, to speak truth, to fight the good fight. I told my wife. And women. And women. <laughs> and women. Sorry, and women. It's fine. It's fine. We'll talk later about that. Right. Yeah, sorry, sorry. But it, it's, we... We just have to get up and, and not be afraid of persecution under, and welcome persecution and understand that we're over the target when we receive that persecution. And I'm at the point right now that this, you know, I'm, I just see this as a war foot. And I might, a lot of people like my mom, right? When I spoke at the city council the first time, my mom's like, Ben, you're so angry. You're so mad. I said, mom, I said, it's my my convictions, my passion. Like, don't you see this? This is a, we're being suppressed. Like, this is a big deal. And, and I am angry. And I was like, you don't know what I went through for the last six hours prior to that meeting. I listened to propaganda, misinformation. I listened to these doctors spew this fear mongering on the people. And I'm not going to stand for it. Mm -hmm. And we need to get louder. We need to speak out and not fear persecution, not fear the, the stickers from the Wemix. Mm -hmm. I love it. Cool. Well, thank you for doing what you're doing on yeah. behalf of all of, on behalf of all the people who, who are sitting silently by and, and just waiting for this normal to resume. It's never going to resume there. It's interesting to see where, what happens over the next year, especially given the political landscape. But um, I, I'm encouraged by the, the voices of you and Alec and tell you like it is you referenced her earlier. Um, there are a lot of people who are speaking up. And so it's been an honor to have a conversation with you. Thank you. And I look forward to staying in touch with you. Absolutely, Thank man. You. Thank you guys. And it's great to meet you. Likewise. All right. I'm going to take you up on that offer in Omaha soon. All right, buddy. Off see you, All right. See you, brother. Bye-bye.